0: The teaching of Jesus in the New Testament is one of reconciliation. Us with God the Father and us with one another. Welcome to episode 40 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher Dr. George Byron Coke. We concluded last time with that rather significant statement as George is wrapping up a challenging discussion of reconciliation, and we continue today with more about these two parts of biblical reconciliation. Here's George. This reconciliation unfolds through love, repentance, and forgiveness, but it begins with love. The character of love is embodied in how Jesus lived and opened the way to God for others. Though he made it clear that he had come not to abolish the law but to fulfill it, he quickly recast the understanding of God's intentions. God was not a rule-giver who required rule-following in order for anyone to have approval or access. Rather, He offered openness to all, even those desperately lost in sin. He did not approve of sin, but he did invite sinners to come close to him. When they came close, they fell in love, their hearts turned, forgiveness was granted, and they were reconciled with God. This was and is salvation, the initiation of life in Christ, Covenant with God. Even Jesus' own name embodies this. We've all heard probably that Jesus means God saves, or something of the sort, and it does, but a little more deeply it means even more. Jesus comes from two Hebrew roots, the first of which is Jehovah, Jehovah is the Germanic version of this, and the second Yahshua which is usually said to mean salvation, but yashah actually means to be open, wide, or free. And hence, it implies giving safety, salvation, deliverance to one who lacks these. In effect, in Jesus, we have an open, wide, free place where God is present just like the promised land for the Israelites. The one who took the Israelites into the promised land after the death of Moses was Joshua, the same name in Hebrew as Jesus. The many stories of Jesus eating with and encountering sinners, which rankled the self-righteous religious people around him, gives testimony to this open presence of love in him. But perhaps one of the most compelling testimonies is also the shortest. This is from Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, the second sentence in this shows how the religious people responded to what Jesus did with sinners, but dwell just a moment on the first sentence. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. What a revealing insight. The despised agents of the Romans and notorious sinners somehow feel safe with Jesus. You know it wasn't because he was saying their sins were of no concern. But does anyone suppose for a moment that they flocked to be near and learn from the self-righteous religious people who looked down on them and condemned them? Of course not. Look at Jesus' stunning encounter with the woman caught in adultery, The self-righteous said she should be stoned for her sin, to which he replied that the one without sin should cast the first stone. After they all fled, having been convicted by his words, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. That's from John 8. Jesus doesn't tell her the sin was not sin, but he implicitly forgives her for it and then tells her not to do it again. Certainly the love she experienced in this encounter filled her and strengthened her not to fall so easily again. She is treated as one beloved who has been lost not as one despised who must be publicly shamed and harmed. So it makes perfect sense that Luke follows this story in his text with the quote I just shared above. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And then Luke recounts how Jesus then told the self-righteous complainers three parables, and these come from Luke 15. Here's the first one. And follow me now on what Jesus is purposing, what he's intending, with the self-righteous complainers he begins with the parable of the lost sheep and here it is so jesus told them this story if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost what will he do won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus says that. The shepherd doesn't punish the lost sheep doesn't humiliate it or condemn it, doesn't shame it into proper behavior. It was lost. And now that it is found, the shepherd celebrates its return and calls friends and neighbors together to join in. And of course, this isn't about sheep. It's about people. And Jesus says there is joy in heaven over one lost sinner. Who repents and returns to god often when we hear the word repent it comes with a booming voice dripping with disapproval and condemnation and though we may feel brokenhearted when we have sinned the word repent in new testament greek means to turn around mentally to change your mind or to feel compelled to do so. In Hebrew, it means to be sorry, or to draw back, retreat, return. The core idea is to be restored to relationship with God. Jesus makes the point that this is cause for celebration. The second parable Jesus tells them, he's driving his point home, is about the woman who loses one silver coin and searches for it until it's found, then calls friends and neighbors together to rejoice with her. Jesus explains the parable to them by saying, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then finally is the famous and often repeated parable of the prodigal son, one of Jesus' longest and most pregnant parables. I believe it contains in a single story the most foundational and important elements of Jesus' teachings. What the Pharisees and teachers of religious law heard next was the unadorned gospel, the good news of God's reconciling love for mankind. I'll put the whole story here so we miss none of it. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. A familiar parable, but with some interesting context based on our discussion. We'll continue with the passage from Luke 15 in just a few minutes. Stay with us.